0: If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Psalm 95. We have a few more weeks in our season of Psalm. I hope it's been good. I hope you've been diving in and experiencing the Psalms, drinking deeply from the well of the Psalms. Today is uh, Psalm 95, and we're just going to uh, read it, sing it together. Uh, if you know the words, just, just sing with me. They'll, they'll be on the screen. Come, let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with, (laughs) and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it, and his hands, they form the dry land. You guys hear this before? Where are my Church of Christ people? Come on now. (laughs) It goes on like this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hands, and the sheep of his hands. Now you know why they don't let me on the praise team. That's my greatest fear, singing in public. Of all of the the great commands of God, there is one that stands greater than the rest. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, this is what it says. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And Psalm 95 sings this first and greatest commandment. The Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. Do you hear it? You hear that command? And in the presence of the one who holds the sea and mountains in his hands, in the presence of of our maker, we are called. And the first part of this psalm is this great call to worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. It's what you do In the presence of the one true king. Amen? Amen. And if this psalm ended in verse 7, no one would complain. Yet something is missing. There is more still to come, more still to be done. In the presence of the one true king, more is required, more is requested of us. Look at these last few verses. Beginning in the second half of verse 7, it says, If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, Don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, They are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So, in my anger, I took an oath, and they will never enter my place of rest. Maybe you remember the story from Children's Ministry. God's chosen people, the people of Israel, become slaves to the great pharaohs of Egypt. They cry out to God, and God hears their cry and sends a rescuer, a man named Moses. He's not so good at talking, so God gives him a staff, and he performs all of these wonders, these signs in front of Pharaoh that eventually, if you remember, whose heart is hardened, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and Moses presents all these signs and wonders. So eventually, he lets God's people, the people of Israel, go, and Moses leads them across the Red Sea, or we think maybe the Reed Sea. And he's leading them to this very specific place. Do you remember what it was called? The promised land. Psalm 95 calls it God's place of rest. But there's a problem. Even though the people of Israel, the people of God, have been seen the wonders of God and, and been led, even through the waters of the Red Sea, they're kind of naughty. Seemingly, at almost every turn, they they moan and complain. Psalm 95 talks about when they were, uh, Israel did, or, or said, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah and Massah. At one point, the people of Israel, on their journey to this great promised land, God's place of rest, the people become thirsty, and they begin to, argue with God they begin to test his patience uh, and and they take it to the extreme they even pick up stones and uh, have a plan to stone and kill Moses the person who just rescued them from Egypt maybe you've uh, been in that place maybe it's a place uh, that you were in a car accident have you ever had that place that you always remember the place where it happened? Um, there was a place in a, a grocery store where my kid threw the the biggest fit meltdown. Every time I go down the aisle of that grocery store, like I remember that place. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it was so epic. Uh, uh, one of our kids—I'm not going to tell you which one it was—but it was our son. Um, we were out at a we were out at a restaurant one time in Birmingham with my family, and I cannot eat at that restaurant anymore because he was a baby and something happened and with all of his Ethiopian gastrointestinal strength, he just like exploded in his diaper. And, and I, I, I learned this because it was on me. My wife knows exactly what I'm talking about. So like, I know that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know exactly, like in my mind, it will, I will never eat at that restaurant because I know exactly where I was sitting. I know exactly where it happened. And when Psalm 95 says, don't be like Meribah and Massa, he's talking about that place. Those, those Hebrew words literally mean like testing and arguing. It was that bad. Like Moses said, this, this complaining is to a whole new level. I, we got to just name this place. The people of God eventually make it right to the shore of the promised land, and I don't know if you remember this whole story, but they send in spies. The spies spend 40 days in the promised land, and all of the spies, with the exception of a few, come out and say, this place is not for us. You remember this? There was a few brave souls that say, let's go, we can take this land, God's given it to us, but mostly the spies come back with this incredibly negative, fear filled report. They say, This land is filled with the people of Anak. It's, the, uh, it's Goliath's people, if you guys remember that story. They're giants. And when we were there, we were like, it, it says a screw, it says, This is the fear filled language. We were like grasshoppers to them. And this is the scene from Psalm 95. He he just says, your your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. And because the spies had been in the land for 40 days, God says, I'm going to keep you out of this land for 40 years. A whole generation will miss out on the promised land, on my place of rest. I didn't remember this part of the story, but if you go back and look, uh, the people of Israel uh, initially get to the edge of the promised land and say, no, we're too afraid. We want to go back to Egypt. We would rather die slaves in Egypt than go and take what God wants. And then God says, look, I've lost my patience for you. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then the people of Israel go, no, well, okay, well, we'll go in the promised land now. And I don't know if you remember what happens, but they try to go in without God's favor, without his help, without his protection. And what happens? They get stomped like grasshoppers. God's chosen people, firsthand witnesses to his power and greatness. These are the same people that followed the presence of God in, in in a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. Psalm 95 pulls this story out and at the very end says, they will never enter my place of rest. And if Psalm 95 has this message for us, the message is, and it can happen to you too. So let's talk about this place of rest, my place of rest, that that very last verse, verse 11 of Psalm 95. Um, I love the idea that I'm talking about rest the week after daylight savings. Uh, I just want to say, like, like, daylight savings is a construct of the devil, and we should cast it down. It, <laughs> amen. The kids are getting up early. It's dark before I get home from work. I don't like it. But mostly, uh, this I want to talk about this concept of rest, and maybe I begin by asking a question: Who's here? Who here is interested in rest? Who here needs a good rest? So, I want to talk about kind of some of our ideas about rest, and then I want to talk about God's place of rest. We think rest comes from a lazy boy and a blanket. We think rest comes from Sunday afternoon naps. Some of you are getting a head start on this already. See, in, in, in our world, in our construct, like we think rest comes from inactivity. It's a break from work. It's a break from physical exertion. It's, it's vacation. Rest for us is ease. It's the, it's the absence of problems or, or stress or worry. But I, I want to pose a warning to you about our ideas of rest. If we're not careful, our ideas of rest can get us into a lot of problems. You see, most of our ideas about rest offer only temporary reprieve. Have you seen this? Unfulfilling pauses always leaves us wanting more. You ever heard the phrase, I need a vacation from my vacation? Have you seen this, that, that the, sometimes the rest we pursue doesn't ever seem to quite fill our, our, our rest gas tank we're still, we can become so strung out in the hamster wheel pursuing rest that we begin to think rest is something we have earned or deserved. Maybe you've said something like this. If only I could get to retirement, then I can rest. If only I could get this promotion, then I could rest. If only I could finish this project, then I could rest. If only I could resolve this conflict, then I can rest and, and I want to caution you about your, our ideas about rest because they can really poison our desires. You remember the greatest command. The Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. No gods but me. And a surefire way to provoke God is to make an idol of work. We, we know about that one, right? But you can provoke God by making an idol out of rest also. So I want to caution you about our ideas of rest, and I want to talk to you about rest for God. Uh, we have this friend, Emily, who uh, just, recent, just this past week gave birth. Um, she had a C-section, nine pound something. That's a whale. I mean... <laughs> Um, a well-named Eloise. I think that's right. Is that right? Yeah. Um, when I saw Eloise, like this whole teaching came together because I saw, you know, this newborn wrapped snugly in a, you know, they're tied down in the blanket, really is what it is, wrapped snugly in this blanket with the little cap on. And like as, as long as Eloise was in her mother's arms, she had everything she needed. Right? Have you seen this with with kids sometimes? So I like to play with kids in my neighborhood and sometimes and and so I think maybe all kids go through this. They go through this little like shy, timid phase, you know what I'm saying like they're they're playing in their street pushing their little shopping cart or whatever and their parents are right there, and I'll come up and try to play with them or hang out with them. Is that creepy? Sorry, um, maybe it is <laughs> And sometimes kids will and sometimes kids will like you know sometimes kids will like adventure a few steps away from their parents and play with you. But sometimes they just completely disengage from you and immediately turn and go back to their parents. And what they're, what they're telling you is you ain't got nothing I need or want, right? Because they just return to their parents because that's, that's the place of total dependence. Those children don't need or want anything else. The, the place of of pure provision is in their parents' arms. Eloise receives all that she needs from her mother and father. And I think that's kind of like the rest that God offers us. Maybe some of you have attempted fasting. I love to to talk about fasting. I've used this example before, but you know, uh, in the Boy Scouts, they, they say, you need three things to survive. You need food, water, and shelter. And fasting says, no, you don't. Fasting reminds us that what we need comes from who? Comes from God. And that's the kind of rest he offers. Like, like his place of rest, God's place of rest, comes when we depend on God for everything. Are you with me? Okay, let's go deeper. God's rest is independent of the circumstances of your life. I know we like to think, when, when things calm down a bit at work, I'll be able to rest. When, when we get over this next hurdle with our teenager, then I'll be able to rest. When, when this deal goes through, when, we, when this check clears, when our vacation starts, then we'll be able to rest. But remember... The rest of the world offers is fleeting. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Asheville, and we went to the, uh, we went to the Biltmore. Have you guys been there? Um, I think we were the youngest cu- people there that day. <laughs> um, we went to the Biltmore. The Biltmore is this in- incredible mansion, like in the 1800s, this, this Vanderbilt guy. He took $100 in the 1800s and made $100 million out of it. And then the next generation took it even further. It's, it's, they told us it was the, it's the largest home in the United States, 250 rooms in it. It's, originally, they, he had 125,000 acres uh, in, in this kind of property that he owned. Like, incredible wealth. Like, so in my mind, I'm like, that's like your set wealth. Like, you have that kind of wealth. You can just sit back. You can kick your feet up. You can just take a rest. Finally, you'll be, you know what I'm saying? Like, you'll be set forever. Within three generations, that wealth is almost completely gone. Did you know that? And I say that to you just to remind you, like, like how many of us pursue these things? Like, if I, if I finally can get my hands on this, then I'll be able to rest. But everything the world offers, the rest the world offers is fleeting. God's rest is independent of all of that, though. rest God offers is disproportionate to the amount of sleep you get. Think about that. The rest God offers has nothing to do with the number of vacation days you have. The rest God offers has nothing to do with the wealth you have or even the problems you're facing. I know I'm getting into deep stuff here. We've been on mission trips and uh, things like that and, and we, we've worked late into the night, and we've prayed at night before we went to bed, like, man, we really need eight hours of rest, but we only have two hours. And we've prayed, Father God, we need more rest than we have sleep. And you know what happens? He answers. Have you ever had that happen? That you've received rest disproportionate to the amount of sleep you have? You see, God's place of rest is the place where we depend on Him for everything. When we stop being so interested in what the world has to offer, when we can become like children in the mother's arms again, that child has all it needs. And when we place ourselves in God's hands, when we place ourselves completely in His arms, that's the place of rest. So how do we do it? How can we enter God's place of rest? You may be surprised by the answer. You remember the people of Israel bumped right up to the promised land. Finally, they were about to, I mean, they were, they were right there. All they had to do was cross the river. They'd be in the promised land. But if you remember this story, the, the promised land wasn't a beach in Hawaii right? It wasn't a bunch of empty vacation homes that everyone just, all they had to do was just cross the river and just move in, right? Like, it, it wasn't an easy place. The promised land, God's place of rest, that's what Psalm 95 calls it, is a place filled with what? Giants. Even later, when the next generation enters into the promised land, they immediately go to what? They go to war. They don't go to vacation. And yet God says, this is my place of rest. Why? Remember, God's rest is independent of the circumstances of your life. God's rest is when we obediently step into his will. how do you enter God's rest? The answer is obedience. Despite the battles, despite despite the things we might be facing, we enter into his rest when we trust him and obediently step into his will for our life. Rest for God is not inactivity but actively participating in the kind of life he desires. Sometimes we can be far too lazy sitting back. Sometimes Christians, maybe you've seen this, like sometimes Christians sit back waiting for the vacation to begin and never truly entering, enter into the activity of God. This is going to be deep. You can, you can tweet this. Scripturally, biblically, theologically, you don't need more vacation days. You need more God days. It's the truth. If you want real rest, it's not going to come from sleeping in an extra hour in the morning. It's going to come from getting up an hour early to spend time in God's word. Rest comes from God, and we enter into it when we obediently pursue Him and pursue His will. If you want to dig a little deeper into this, um, you can fast forward in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews offers a commentary on Psalm 95, especially verses 7 through 11. In fact, it repeats this, this phrase word for word, and is going to expound on it in big ways. So if you want to, you can dig into uh, Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 4. It's going to dive into this whole idea of God's promised place of rest in a big way. The author of Hebrews is going to look back at, at the people of Israel and how their rebellion and disobedience caused them to miss out on their chance to enter God's place of rest. But the author of Hebrews, he's also going to look forward. He's going to look to the future, and he holds this heavenly picture of God's place of rest out in front of us. Uh, Maybe you've heard language of our eternal resting place. Language of rest and peace, that kind of stuff. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it's on the screen. It says, God's promise of entering his rest. What are those next two words? Ah. Oh. But then look, it's, there's that Psalm 95 warning right after it says, So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Finally, and I think most importantly, like in Hebrews, he looks to the past, he looks to the future, and, and then he returns to the present. Look at the next verses in verses 6 and 7 of Hebrews chapter 4. He says, so God's rest is there for people to enter, and it's, he's, his reference is through Jesus Christ, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they, what? What's that word? How do we enter God's rest? Obedience. That's right. And they failed to because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is not sometime in the future. That time is not sometime in the past. But that time is when? Today. Today. The Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. The psalmist says, and the author of Hebrews reiterates this point, man, it's, it's great that you have come to worship. It is great that you have come to bow down. But if we really want to enter his place of rest, we must move from inactivity to activity. We must move from spectator to participant. We must move into the will and purpose of God, obediently trusting him and relying on him for everything. In just a few moments, we're gonna have a time of communion we have tables set up around this room and, and maybe I'm, I'm blowing your mind and maybe you completely disagree with me. That's not gonna be the first time. But in this space, it's a worship space for us. We have the elements of, of Christ, uh, death and burial and resurrection, and we want you to enter into it. We think it's a, a communal time for you to share, but also a reflective time. And, and when we enter that space in just a few minutes, I want you to ask yourself the question, where does rest come from? We all want rest, right? Anybody here not want rest? You're good. Okay. <laughs> There we go. So we all want rest. Now ask yourself, where does rest come from? Does rest really come from from vacation and days off and lazy boys? Or are you resting in the temporary, fleeting things of this world? Or have you come to realize, and and I hope that maybe today you will, that you will never reach fulfillment, purpose, life, rest, until you come to know with all of your heart that God has all you need. Remember what the psalmist said in verse 7. If only you would listen to his voice today here's what I know I know right now that there is not a single one of you that God is not calling to that God is not speaking to that 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 God is is somehow like forgot about you or distant from you you have his attention He's begging pleading for you to listen to his voice And obey. Jesus said it this way If you love me, obey my commands. God's promised rest. I know, I know this is this seems counterintuitive, despite what you're facing right now, is available to you today. And you can enter that rest by leaning into his will, leaning obediently uh, engaging in the kind of life he desires. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the challenge of of Psalm 95 and and the warning and the reminder, but Father God, also the invitation. You have made a way for us to come into your rest again through the sacrifice and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. You, uh, you, You loved us even when we were unlovable. You created this space for us. And so, Father God, help uh, maybe some of us in our, in our Christian walk, Father God, we've, we've been sitting on the bench, we've been in a place of inactivity, and uh, we want to know your rest, but Father God, we're afraid, help us to obediently move to an active place. Help us to move into your kingdom will to to make disciples, to grow followers of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to to move forward and baptize them in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and teaching them to obey. Father God, help us to move into your will for, uh, for, for this church, but for Franklin and for Nashville and for the world. Father God, help us to move into that place of total dependence on you where we depend on you for everything. And Father God, maybe today, today, even now, as we enter in this time of communion, if, if there are other things that we've been putting our hope in and putting our trust in and we've been idolizing, Father God, let us re- release us and free us from all of those things. Let us come and bow before you. the one true God, and obediently trust you with our lives, with every decision. Father God, this this movement, this action that happens in us, this stirring is only possible through your Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, God, I invite you to move powerfully in each and every one of us. We love you, Father. Bless us as we enter into this time of communion. Do your work on us and in us. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,